Welcome to How Leaders Lead, where every week you get to listen in while I interview some of the very best leaders in the world. I break down the key learnings so that by the end of the episode, you'll have something simple you can apply as you develop into a better leader. That's what this podcast is all about. Today's guest is Jamie Dimon, Chairman and CEO of J.P. Morgan Chase. Now, if you haven't already heard part one of this conversation, check the feed and start with episode 14 instead. It's a masterclass in dealing with problems by preparing for them ahead of time. But you know, some problems aren't possibilities way off into the future. They're right here, right now. And in part two, we get into how Jamie deals with those day-to-day issues. And there's a real humility in how he does it. Jamie's always listening. He's always learning. He genuinely wants to know the issues on the ground in his organization. But he doesn't stop there. He actually follows through so the problems he uncovers get resolved. Imagine that. I mean, it's rare to find a leader who is willing to listen to issues, but a leader who follows up and actually fixes those issues? That's the stuff of legend. And Jamie Dimon is a legend. But it doesn't have to be. You just need a plan. And that's the big takeaway in this conversation with Jamie. Always have a plan to deal with problems. So here's part two of my conversation with my good friend and soon to be yours, Jamie Dunn. Could you tell us about your upbringing and, uh, and, and how it shaped who you are today? Yeah, so David, first of all, thrilled to be here. As you know, the respect I have for you is enormous, and uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to this conversation. So look, I grew up in Jackson Heights, Queens. You know, my grandparents were immigrants. You know, my parents did, uh, my mother, fly, my mother went to college the same time I went to college. He was a stockbroker, so I grew up kind of interested in financial services. But, you know, there was a strong core, you know, there was always do the right thing. Yeah, Stand by people, do the right thing, tell the truth, uh, do your best, be proud, uh, be, be a productive citizen. You know, there's a constant refrain that way. And uh, two brothers, one was a twin, who I'm still very close to both. And uh, so I think it was your basic kind of upbringing. Yeah, great. Did you have any uh, uh, rivalry with your twin brother? Yeah, we had, uh, we had we were part of a little gang we called the Lightning Squad. I mean, I haven't even remembered this until you asked this. <laughs> I was the general and he was like the, you know, the, the lieutenant or something like that. We had like 15, we were the little kids. It was a big kid gang. And we literally, you know, we would fight too. I mean, there was constant <laughs> physical fight and stuff like that. But it's very funny. My brother is an educator. Yeah. Uh, he's written books, teaches. Uh, loves the Alexander technique, so totally different than me. But if you met him, the core person, the heart, the soul, the more morality, oh, that's pretty much the same. Oh, that's, and uh, that's great. Uh, my older brother is a physicist. He's not that much older. A year and a half old is a physicist, PhD, MIT, University of Chicago, uh, uh, IBM Labs, Niels Bohr Institute, like real theoretical particle physicist. But the same thing. I think moral, morality of the same core. And... Uh, you know, he went the science route, but he, I was always interested in science yeah. too. And yeah. uh, so, sounds like you're the dummy in the family, Jamie. It, it, yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> well, I know you went to Harvard, uh, and you, did you have a teacher there that really impacted you, and you, you remember in a in a really fond way? Yeah, so Harvard Business School I went to right. after college and stuff like that. Uh, yeah, you know, first of all, they were fabulous teachers there. And one of the things that Harvard Business School does that people don't talk about is they really rate the teachers. If you can't teach the kids, you, you are not there for very long. And so the guy, I had a finance professor, Jay Light, who became the dean, uh, who's an exceptional human being. In fact, I think I'm going to see him in a week or so. There's a guy who was his first year there called Joe Badaracco, 
And he was, and we tortured him because it was his first year. And these kids could be pretty <laughs> tough. But he went on to become an assistant dean. I still see him. He, you know, he's one of those guys with a big heart, a big soul. Uh, he, you know, he's written several books by now. So the, I said those are the two that most moved me. And I still talk to him. Well, you know, one of our our great mentors that we shared was the, the great and late uh, Andy Pearson, yeah. uh, the past president of PepsiCo, and yeah. he taught at Harvard Business School. And I remember him telling me that he got his 360-degree feedback from the students, and he ranked worse than any professor. And then he made it an objective that yeah. he was going to be the best professor the, the, the next year. How important do you think it is to really get, get feedback? Oh, it's critical. And But just so you mentioned Andy Pearson, because you and I, I think, both think the same. He's one of the best I've ever seen, Bo- both in business, uh, because you you know, the th- he just, he, he was tough-minded. You know, he wasn't tough. He was just, what are the facts? Get it done. Do the follow-up. You know, do the analysis. There was no BS about it, but it was always very open. But his people skills, you know, I, I mean, I love, I didn't know you. I knew him. Yeah. But I, I mean, he, I just remember embracing you and putting his arm around. He wasn't threatened by you. You know, here you are, you're this young, yeah. strong, tough guy. He's obviously getting older. <laughs> but he, you know, he bonded and made you partners right away. And uh, I mean, he taught both of us a tremendous amount. And I would say I learned more from him than just about anybody else. And uh, uh, so, and you, you look, you learn from everybody. I learned from you. Like, you always do the recognition thing, you know? And where I grew up in the world, you're almost afraid of getting recognition for it because they might want to get paid too much or it might go to their head. Or, and that's all <laughs> dead wrong. And, yeah. and the other thing I should say about recognition, which is, I don't know if you would say it this way, but recognition means you don't always know. It means you have humility. It means you're telling the other person, thank you for your contribution. It means a whole other set of things that a lot of leaders don't like to do. Well, you, you've always been very good at giving credit to people who really perform uh, in an extraordinary way. How do you decide when you really want to give that personal attaboy? David, I wasn't good at it years ago, to tell the truth. And I, mean, I was watching you and I, you, know, you know Bob Lip and watching Bob Lip calling people at the end of the year. I mean, I, I remember, you mean, I know Bob, we used to call people at the end of the year, pick out the top 30 branch managers and spend all week talking to them. What did you learn? How can we do so well? What can we teach other people? Taking the time to do that. And you would do the same thing. Like, I don't know if your listeners know this, but if you used to go to David Novak's office, he would put every, uh, put, he got awards, got pictures, and then he went to the ceiling. <laughs> you, you couldn't cover. I sure I'm assuming they're still there, and uh, so it's it, it's all the time now. It's yeah. publicly. It's when they do something above and beyond. You send them a note. You know, there we had a couple of guys who worked around the weekend in a deal. I mean, literally, literally for seventy two hours. I call them up, and say thank you. You know, going beyond yeah. the call of duty. I was on. A, I was on an airplane, and it, just, you know, it goes a long way. They they both they all sent emails to their boss saying, Jesus, Jamie called me to say, <laughs> say thanks for uh, you know spending the whole weekend on this one thing. Yeah, it's amazing when you're the leader like you are, when you just are nice and you're considerate of other people's, how much credit you get for yeah. being that way, you know? Yeah. You know, do you think that's because leaders take themselves too seriously or or just they, they don't do those kinds of things on, on but, average? So I think here's the, what I think is just I've learned over time, we all learn to be very disciplined, you know? So I'm going to separate leadership and management a little bit. They're not really separable, but like in management and it's follow-up, get it done, it's analytics, get people out of the room, it's follow-up, it's getting the road, it's putting the hours, it's learn, learn, learn. It doesn't necessarily make you a great leader because the great leader is someone that someone wants to follow. So I always ask myself a question now, would I want to work for that person? And you want to work for people that you trust, that you respect, that have your best interests in mind, and they're going to tell you the truth. 
that, so that's feedback, good or bad. And to do those things is humility. It's, it, it, those people have to say, hey, David, David knows more about me, about these branches than I do. So I go on the road with him. I know, I, he, I may be his boss, but I can't, I, I can't be as good as he is at the stuff he's doing. And so, you know, leadership is a lot more about heart and humility and learning and sharing than it is about how smart you are or follow-up or detail analytics. You know, you said one thing that's very important, which, well, all those were good points, but that, that, the notion that uh, others know that you have their best interests in mind and that right. you, really, you really do care about them. You know, what do you think as a leader is the best way to really demonstrate that to others? So uh, I think when you say you have best interests in mind, so it doesn't mean you, it's not like you sponsor them to do, get a next job when they don't deserve it. It's that, they, you, that you know you're going to give them the best shot. You know you're going to give them honest feedback. You know you want them to succeed. So it's like a lot of these jobs, you know, when you put people in a job, you, want, you do want them to succeed. You, you, you may have to remove them one day because they're holding back the company, something like that. But even in that case, you gave them a chance, which means honest feedback. Even in that case, and the organization sees that, that you, when you made a tough decision, it was only after really doing it thoughtfully and you're doing the right thing and you're taking the person out of second base because they're not the second best second baseman, not because they're not your goomba or your friend. But I, you know, I also think what you're really saying here is that people will care more about you once they know you care about them. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. They'll, tell, they'll tell you the truth and they want to tell you the truth. They want right. to be part of the team. They want to give it, they'll give it their best. They'll break their, they'll break their back for you if they know that you're, you're trying to coach a quarterback and you're just one player in the team. Yeah. You know, my daughter wanted me to ask you this one, so I'm going to yeah. do that, she, she, which was like, what advice can you give aspiring leaders, you know, trying to climb up the ranks and make their mark in business? You know, earn it every day. Learn, learn, learn. You're going to get kicked on your ass, and sometimes the most important thing what happens to you is how you deal with that. And it's, I tell people it's going to happen. And, you know, you got to, it's okay to cry. It's okay to moan. It's okay to hide for a week or two, but eventually you got to brush yourself up, get off. What did you learn from it and move on? Uh, uh, work, work with and for people you respect because you'll enjoy every day. And usually that will lead you to better places. They, they will have your back and will help you, including giving the tough feedback or not giving the promotion you don't deserve. You and I both know giving people promotion they don't deserve is guaranteed road to failure guaranteed. And you've really hurt the person because, you know, sometimes it's hard to come back from that. So, uh, and learn, learn, learn. You spend, I don't know, we, you were, you ran Young Brands, you probably spent 70, 80% of the time learning. What's going on here? What's the competition doing? What's going on in China? What's our product menu? How come this company's doing a better job than we are? You know, that, that constant stuff that, you know, if you don't do, you won't be a good leader. Yeah, absolutely. You know, when do you know when you're coming up, when do you know it's time to step up from being an individual contributor to, to being a manager? When, when do you, when do you, how do you really gauge that as you're, as you're, as you're climbing the ladder? How do you gauge it personally? Or how do you gauge it in somebody else? Uh, both. You know, it's a very, very funny thing because I don't know about you, but we don't teach people that. You just kind of give them, all of a sudden you're a manager and you're on your own. And, right. you know, there's always the assumption that you're going to be good at it. But I mentioned follow-up list, detail, tell the, And a lot of people aren't good at it. And, they, and we didn't give them any training. So sometimes the company is, is to blame. But you, I think you'll know it because you feel like you want to be part of a winning team. And, you know, you and I know the joy of being part of a team. It, there's something about it that is unbelievable. It could be a sports team. It could be a, it could be a restaurant store. It could be, you know, an analytics team or an M&A deal team. But man, when you, that team wins, it feels great. And, and you, li you like that more. Some people want to be individual contributors their whole life. 
they really like research or detail or analytics or, or you know, hunt, they're hunters. They want to go out and bring in the big deal for the rest of you. And, you know, and so it's not bad to not want to be an individual, you know, contributor or to be one. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I know one of the things watching you in action is that one of the things that really invigorated you is when you went out in the field and met with the front line and, uh, yeah. you know, talked to the clerks and, uh, you know, went to the call centers. You know, wh why did you do that in the first place? And, and what did you really get out of it? What did you see your role as a leader by doing it? Yeah, we do these bus trips and we have tellers and we go to call centers. And we, we put them on the bus. We give tellers and loan orders and branch managers. We give them a beer and immunity. And we tell them, tell us what we're doing right and wrong. And we make it fun, but we keep a really detailed list about what we're doing. You do it to learn. You do it to say thank you. You, you, you do it. To, it is fun. Make it fun, man. You got to make work fun. It is hard enough as it is. Uh, uh, and people sometimes say to me, that's great. You're showing the flag. I tell them, no, I'm not just showing the flag. Showing up is okay. But listening to what they have to say and fixing it, that's respect. Yeah. Showing up itself is a little bit of respect, but fixing it is a lot of respect. Acknowledging this big, powerful company is doing something stupid. Yeah, I remember when you went to uh, Columbus to the call center, yeah. and you know you saw some bureaucracy. And the next, you know, the next week you came back and you you changed all those things like within yeah. two weeks, you know, and yeah. it just traveled all around the 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 country at Bank One with the, a yeah. new sheriff was in town. You know, yeah. how much of a role do you think you have just to shock the system as a leader like that? I I think you got to be kind of relentless with that and. You and I know that big companies are always slowing down and always getting more bureaucratic. So, in, in, like, I have a lot of great leaders now, so I don't have to do it for them, but I still do it. I return every phone call, every email. If I see something that's really dumb, I make sure it gets fixed. I tell them, do it today. Don't, don't, don't start this thing. We'll get, we'll get to it when it's on my list. So, you know, I, every now and then I still just go do it today, and people smile. They say, he's still Jamie. You know, he's still <laughs> doing the thing. But as you know, once you do have very good leaders, you got to let them do it too. You've got all this power as a CEO and you've got this great reputation, you know, so, you know, how do you really get the truth from people? I mean, how do you know you're getting the real skinny versus people blowing smoke up there? You're, you know what? You know, on that bus trip, you know, you're having a beer with them. You go to the, you go to the bars with these people. You're, I would turn every email, every phone call. People know it. And like, even when I do a town hall, I do a town with administrative assistants. I don't just stand up there for now an and answer their questions. The ones I can't answer and they ask a lot of great questions. I respond in email to them, you know, a week or two later, say, here's the sticks thing I couldn't answer. And here's the answer. And we're changing some of them. And so people know you actually mean it. You want to know. They also have never seen retaliation for someone bringing up something, even if it's stupid. So sometimes people that you've been there, they ask a really obnoxious, stupid question. And I, you always treat it respectfully. You know, like if yeah. a little humor or, okay, that's a good point. Or, you know, honestly, we put that in the web eight times already and please read. We already did that kind of <laughs> stuff. But, you know, but if you get mad, you know, uh, you're, you're going to, people know. And so you've seen it at the time, right. but people respond in a way the next time you aren't going to bring it up. Yeah. It's like a, it's like an abused kid. You know, you, if your dad hits you every time you complain, you're not going to complain. You know, you're just gonna, you know. Right. Yeah, you got to make yourself open, vulnerable. And, uh, you know, one of the things I heard when I would talk to the people who had met you, in fact, I actually was in Florida. I went to a, a, a J.P. Morgan branch and you'd actually visited this branch. And they said, you know, 
he was much nicer and much real than I really thought he was. <laughs> you know, because people will stereotype you one way or the other. They read about a CEO, like a big company, like they're tough and they pound the table. I don't pound the table. I don't yell. Maybe I did years ago and, and I love <laughs> I'd be in love with the front line. And some people always say, Oh, you're you're nicer than we thought. Yeah, well, thanks. <laughs> I like it testify to the ogre. Like Peter, you want you want to know a surprise? I don't like negotiating. Yeah. People think you do. I'm not, I just, I'd prefer to like, I would prefer you do it than me. <laughs> I want to do a good job at my company, but you know, it, it caused, it's caused a lot. Hey, I do it, but it causes angst. I'd rather not, you yeah. know, and, and like a lot of, like everybody else, I like to avoid conflict sometimes too, yeah. you know, cause, you, yeah. cause you've had enough conflict for the week. It's like, you know, okay, leave me alone. And, but you can't, when you're the boss, yeah. you can't, you got, yeah. you get, you have to deal with issues. Yeah. They don't age well. Problems yeah. do not age well. How, how do you muster up that, that, that courage it takes to take on the tough conflict? Have the tough conversation. That you do get better at because you know they don't age well. I make a list. On Sunday night, I, I don't know if you did something like this, David, but I always think about what am I avoiding? What's tough? What do I have to do? I, I get real feedback from people and you're allowed to walk in and say, you're, Jamie, you're taking too long. You're slowing down this or this person's causing damage. And I really don't let myself off the hook. And you were on my board for years. I learned something from you, which I do every single board meeting, the since we last met. And yeah. on that last, the since we last met, is those tough things. And when I tell you as a board member that I have this management issue, I have now opened my kimono and you aren't going to let me go either. Yeah. You're going to say next time, okay, Jamie, what did you do? Yeah. So what, what CEOs do and all managers do, well, if I don't tell you, I'm not putting pressure on myself. Right. When you go public, you can't go back, you know? It was people you trust. <laughs> right. so you're, you as a boardman don't want me to do the wrong thing. Right. You're not going to let me off the hook. You're going to say, hey, right. what did you do? Right. And, okay, that sounds right or it sounds wrong or Jamie. You're, and you guys, you were there. You've told me many yeah. times, like a couple of you said, hey, Jamie, stop. We, we know what you have to do. We know it's hard. You have our support. Just go do it. Yeah. You know, and yeah. that and you do need that. You need it, but not as a CEO. You need it. Any leader needs any. You'll be running a, a, a branch, one of your restaurants. You know what? The restaurant manager may need that about one of the people who's working for him, too. You know, one of the best ways to build a, a team is to create these shared experiences. And you've mentioned this bus tour you went on. Yep. You know, where did that idea come from and what exactly was it? You took your senior team out on a bus? Yeah. So first of all, we all do the road trips, get in the plane, go to cities, visit people, visit branches. But this is a real bus, jeans, polo shirt. And you may not remember this. We got in a bus with you once. The board, yeah. <laughs> you took us around to visit some restaurants, I think in Louisville, right. and we had the popcorn chicken and, right. and uh, a bunch of stuff. Uh, but it was just an idea. And I said, let's, let's do it on the road. Let's go off the beaten path. Because remember someone, you know, at, at JP Morgan Chase, one of the things is you always go to the big cities. Yeah. So I said, let's go off the beaten path. We were off the beaten path, inland California, yeah. you know, uh, northern Florida, uh, the Midwest, you know, Grand Rapids, you know, places we wouldn't normally go, call centers. It was a gas. Everyone yeah. loved it. We loved being on the bus for two hours. We in between, we'd have tellers and loan officers, and and uh, so we've done it every year since. Other people do it now at the company. It's always in jeans. Even when we went to Palm Beach. I I don't know if you were there that night. Went to some place, and the invitation said jeans. Everyone was wearing, you know, suits and ties. All the retired CEOs and pink pink shorts and uh, yeah. and stuff like that. And so, so even CEOs, you know, they show up at these yeah. lunches, and I'm in jeans, and uh, we have an honest conversation about our country, our company, our problems. Uh, yeah. uh, and then we also on those trips, you always take local management. 
Yeah. Always. That's fantastic. Now, yeah. you know, uh, 70%, a Gallup poll recently, 70% of workers are not engaged when they go to work, which means like yeah. 30% of your people are actually driving your results and productivity. Yeah. Why, why do you think people aren't engaged? And what's your role as a leader to get them, you know, to feel like they count? You, you, you know, you, we've all seen this, is that people don't like their boss. And that, that is almost always number one, you know, like uh, un, unhappy employees usually because they, they're not getting along with their boss. That attrition is because that uh, people don't make the job fun. People give you a boring job, you know. So I hit like a bright kid, you know, or a, a bright executive. And I give him the job. Either I don't let him do it or it's just rote. You know, you're going to get disengaged. And I think there's a tremendous amount of that that goes on particularly in corporate America. It happens in small business. It happens in corporate America. And you can see, you and I can walk into a, a store or a business and you see it. Like if you walk in, you know, to a well-run company, right from the receptionist, you know, you see it. You can feel it. There's energy in the company. They want to help you. As opposed to you walk in and the first thing you get is, you know, what are you here for? You know, or, or something right. like that. So, and that's leaders, man. It's the leaders not doing a good job is why people are disengaged. You wrote that book, uh, uh, and I know it was a, uh, a fiction, uh, about that. I've got the name of the company. Yeah. Oh, great one. Oh, happy face toy company, a happy face toy company. But that is the person caused disengagement because they didn't listen to the people. They didn't really care. They had preconceived notions as opposed to the next boss who walked in said, what, why, why, why is this happening? They said, well, we can't open the truck bays until X. Really? Right. You know, yeah. and that all of a sudden they're engaged because it matters. Absolutely. You know, when did you make the decision, Jamie, to become a banker? Oh, I barely made that decision. You know, like uh, my dad was a stockbroker and like a lot of dads, he didn't want me to do what he did. <laughs> uh, but, <laughs> but, but remember, New York was very financial, stockbroker. They were very small business at the time. So I went to, uh, and I love it. You know, I mean, every time you wake up, everything in the paper is important to you. You know, I was, I was probably one of those New Yorkers who I don't think it anymore. Like, you know, all that matters is New York. Of course not. I mean, th th what a country we have. And I love living in Chicago. And, and you, you know, if you travel around the world, there's some great cities out there. Uh, but I was focused kind of in the financial services. But my interest in not being in a banker per se, I actually wanted to join a team that was going to build a company. And in financial services, that's what I knew. And so the guy I worked for at the time, uh, he had built Shearson. And he was always talking about building this and growing this and buying that. And that, that was kind of what appealed to me more than being a banker. Yeah, I know from your background that you turned down jobs, actually, at Goldman Sachs and uh, Morgan Stanley and I'm sure other companies yeah. and, and started out as assistant for Sandy Weil, who yeah. was at American Express and had built that. And, and you guys were partners for, for a long time. Uh, you worked together all the way through uh, to, to him running Citigroup and you being the CFO. Uh, you know, what was that journey like? Oh, it was unbelievable. You know, and back then he was a de very down to earth and I was included in everything. I was an assistant, but we, that little company, Commercial Credit, bought all these other, it, it just changed its name. So Primerica, Smith Barney, Travelers, then the fine merged with City. I'd been the president for several years before it merged with City. And then, as you know, he fired me. And, uh, but yeah. boy, you learn a lot, man. Buying yeah. companies, dealing with people, fallout systems, marketing. And, you know, we were, we were very opportunistic, but we learned a lot. And we formed a team of people, you know, Bob Lip. And Bob yeah. Lip, I put up there almost those Andy Pearson, unbelievable executive in person. And so you make great friends along the way. And uh, yeah, think about this, listeners. You know, Jamie starts out as assistant at American Express, working for Sandy Wild. They take over uh, commercial credit, and commercial credit ends up 
running Citigroup. I mean, that is one heck of a heck of a journey yeah. that you went on there. Now, Jamie, you you did have a falling out with Sandy Weil, which was very well publicized. You know, yeah. what did you learn from that experience? And was there anything you do different as a leader? Yeah. So you know, about he did fire me, and I think for the wrong reasons. But uh, I called him up after he did not call me. And I said, Sandy, it's the time we break bread. And I hadn't had a job yet. He said, great. And we sat down and he was like sweating a little bit and a little nervous. I said, don't be nervous. Well, I'm only for two minutes about the past. You know, I think what you did was wrong for the company, which obviously it turned out to be right. I said, but I hear the mistakes I made. And I went through a bunch of them. Like, like I had too much of, I got too angry at him when I should have been focused on what's the right thing to do for the company. When he bothered me, I would skip a meeting he wanted me at, you know, just, just, I did because I just want to be in his presence, but that's not the, a mature response to something. And so I went through a bunch of those things. And uh, at the end of the day, I said, thank you for admitting <laughs> all that. Uh, but he, we, I never had the relationship with him like you have with Andy Pearson. And he was never a mentor. There are very few real mentors in life. I think you learn a lot from watching other people. But, you know, Andy Pearson, I learned, Andy Pearson mentioned me more than Sandy did. Just a little time to put his arm around you and make a joke or tell you what you should have done or or just how we did things. And uh, so, you know, watching Sandy, I learned a lot of things to do. I also learned some things I would never do. Like I said, I watched from you watching. I watched learning lip. So some of the mentoring I got was watching other people. It wasn't even that they were necessarily looking, let's help Jamie out a little bit here, you know. So once you, you were let go and you, you had time to step back and reflect on where you wanted to go next, did you ever think about doing anything besides banking? Yeah. Yeah. So I, I, all, it was the internet boom. I was offered several of those. I went to see Jeff Bezos, who's still a friend at Amazon. It was a small company. I just thought moving my family to Seattle is kind of out of my league. But the one, I think you know, that really interested me is Home Depot of all companies. And I, and I went to see Ken Langone and Arthur uh, Blank and Bernie Marcus. We had this great dinner. But at my first dinner with those guys, you know what I said to them? I said, guys, I have to confess, until you called me, I'd never been to a Home Depot. And <laughs> I, I love them. I love the way they did stuff. I told them I'd never been a merchant. I'd run stores. Like, you know, running stores have a commonality to it, like you would know from your, right. your business. Uh, they said, no, we, don't, we want your heart and your mind. We, don't, we want your soul. And we, that, we don't, we'll teach you the rest of the stuff. I said, you guys would pay for that education. They were going to make me president, not CEO. I was fine with that because, honestly, I would not have been able to be CEO from day one. You know, when you don't know you know, something, it's hard to actually run it. So I, I would have needed time, you know, under Arthur Tutelage to do that. The only reason I picked Bank One over Home Depot was I had spent my whole life in financial services. And it was kind of like you spent your whole life playing golf and they, they wanted you to change to tennis and you're not quite sure you were suited to it. And that was really the thing. It has been my craft. I knew right. the other companies. I knew the technologies. I knew the, uh, I could walk the floors of a trading thing or a credit book and understand it. Uh, it was hard for me to walk the floor of a, a Home Depot and understand merchandising. <laughs> why, they, why they put this up front and that, that in the back, you know, and mm -hmm. supply chain management and, and all those things. So it wasn't, but the guy, I love those guys. You know, that, that to me was, it would have been a no-brainer. Oh, they are unbelievable people. You know, yeah. in, so your first real CEO job was running Bank One, which was a major bank, but in major need of uh, turnaround. Yep. What advice can you give to people when you're going into a turnaround situation? Yeah, well, it's, they're tough, you know, and it's lonely. And uh, and you kind of had that at Young Brands too. You know, when you, when you started out, you know, you're running all these things. You, you had run one of them before, but all these people and they weren't performing well and the early problems. And 
uh, and you're not, you don't really have your own team because you didn't bring your team. So at right. Bank One, so the first thing, I was very patient, but not patient to make decisions. I read everything. I studied everything. But then I started meeting the people. Get out in the road all the time. See the people. Report back. Get all the information. And as you do that, you start to learn people, form a decision. And then you had the tough decisions to do. I was always direct with the board. Right from every, I told them everything that we need to do this because it's good for the company, the clients. We need to invest this. We need to, you know, we had to lay off a lot of people, which is miserable. But I told them, you know, honestly, guys, you caused this too. But if we don't fix it, we'll never have a great company. So the board was completely supportive. Uh, you know, as you know, not all the management team was. There's a lot of uh, static and I don't want to change. And Jimmy doesn't know what he's doing. And, uh, you know, you have to be pretty forceful and convincing. While you push, you also try to get a lot of buy-in. You know, but at one point, you make the changes you got to make and bring in some new blood. And, uh, and then once, once you got a team, it's a whole different thing. I mean, if you were going to turn around with a team of people, it's very different than going by yourself. And, and even if you went over with a team of people, I'd say give the other manager their uh, chance too. They have to know you're going to give them a full chance. Otherwise, you can demoralize the whole company, and that, that'll backfire too. Well, Bank One was a remarkable success story, and then J.P. Morgan Chase acquired Bank One, and uh, you, you quickly became CEO there. What changed in the way you do business as you took on a bank that was so much bigger? You know, you, yeah. you know, Bank One certainly wasn't small, but it wasn't J.P. Morgan Chase. How did you adapt to such a big global enterprise? So, you know, honestly, nothing changed, Dave. I did like these business reviews, the travels, the road trips. They just included India and China and, you know, more businesses. But I did the same thing. There's the thorough review, 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 travel, get in the road, learn, learn, learn. I read a lot in the weekends. So I, I didn't really change anything. I did have a management team right from the start. I had right. the one, I had a bank one. I knew a lot of people at J.P. Morgan Chase. Uh, and Bill Harris and I did something which I think is the really smart thing to do for anyone who does a merger. And you were part of this. And remember, it was ordained I was going to come to CEO. It was publicly right. announced. It was going to take two years, but, but there was no uh, noise. There's no uh, politics around it. Bill Harris and I, at the same time we announced the deal, we announced the management team. And it was a rational management team. It wasn't kind of bastardized by tons of political decisions. And we tried to make the best people decisions. And there are people from both companies. Uh, and then we just started the relentless process. And again, you do get the resistance. You get the people. We don't do it that way here. And I always say the same thing. It's not yeah. how you do it or don't. What's the right way to do it for the company, the client? Great. You know, you, you have enormous responsibility running a global company, biggest uh, financial institution in the world. How do you even possibly go through prioritization how do you how do you do it <laughs> yeah yeah i don't know i i i, have, I call it the operating architecture you know i have an operating committee we meet every week we've got an agenda every month we spend a lot of time on the agenda is set ahead of time we have business reviews all the time i've got pre-scheduled road trips and stuff like that but that that actually takes 35 percent of my time my doors literally open with white space half the time and we're always going through lists i have better leaders now but you know what that allows us to do more yeah. <laughs> I, do less, I do less myself. We spend more time in innovation. We spend more time looking yeah. at X. We spend more time, you know, with clients. But we are very, very disciplined, diligent, follow-up less, just like you did, by the way. And, and yeah. you know, you did it for, you know, three different brands. But, you know, if you edit a fourth, you would just edit it right in. You know, one of the things I always enjoyed seeing with you is that you carried with this 8 by 10 sheet of paper, you yeah. know, that you folded in half and you put it in your suit pocket or blazer pocket, you know. Tell, tell me about that. Tell, tell yeah. our listeners about that. That's, I, people find hard to believe. I return every email and every phone call almost every day. 
and everything goes. If I need to, if you, if I owe you something, I write in that list, uh, Novak dash X. You know, if I need to call you or if I ask you for something, it says Novak owes me Y. If I need to make a date, it goes on that sheet. Or if, and I also have a thing called think about. Like I need to think about. It. Like I just, I just, but I might do when I go home at night. But that's just one layer, and I do still carry that. That's my kind of immediate. If if what do I gotta get done now? If I got an hour in the car, that I take out that list. I have. There's another list for every business, which is more, much more detailed and much more strategic. Yeah. What I always loved, Jamie, was watching that when you got something done. Yeah. If somebody owed you something, and or so you took out your pen, and you 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 didn't just cross through it; you obliterated it. You know, yeah. it's like, a, but you've got a real high sense of urgency and, and make it happen attitude. So, so that obliteration, yeah. I never realized that until you mentioned that, and now I now I now I obliterate it purposely with happiness. <laughs> well, you do it. You know, one of the things I always uh, enjoyed too watching you is that you didn't really talk strategy that much. But you got to the end game, but you got there by basically seeing how the world was moving every day versus having a five-year strategic right. plan or whatever. Yeah. Talk about how you managed the whole strategic process. Yeah, so, we, we, so we're going to have a strategic offsite. We do it every year, three days, really strategic. Like, and we, we bring that back to the board. But I always call it strategery. Like a lot of people spend a lot of time on like you know, five-year 10-year NPVs and and how you want and I and I'm not against it but I I was always certain things are table stakes like you're invent, you're kidding yourself if you think you shouldn't build a digital supply system you know and you're kidding yourself if you shouldn't get good service and hot food in the restaurant you're kidding yourself and that is companies do a terrible job sometimes the data execution so you and I would both say you know first rate execution beats first-rate strategy with second-rate execution. And we do do the strategy stuff. So we always think in what country, what business, what's technology going to the payment systems, what's, what, what would Amazon do if they became a bank? So we actually do do it, but we just don't let people confuse every conversation with it. And we try yeah. to separate out a little bit and have separate meetings on it. So otherwise, as you know, what happens is people start to BS in meetings. Yeah. Well, our strategy is bricks and clicks. And yeah, well, how many people use the branch? How, would you, how will we do it? What are hours? What are the competitors' hours? What are the services? How much advice do we give them? How can we don't put more advisors in there? As a, and then they, because very often strategy becomes an excuse is right. why we're, I'm very careful about how you use it at a company. Yeah, great, great. You know, what advice can you give to people who want to want to start their own business, be entrepreneurs? Yeah. We have a lot of listeners like that. Yeah, I, I you know, honestly, you know, listen, out of respect for them, I've never been what I, you a started a business, been an entrepreneur, so I have enormous respect for it. And I think it's hard because an entrepreneur, if you open a restaurant, you also have to hire people, get uniforms, buy food, get insurance, sign the lease, do payroll. You know, so it's all of a sudden you're the CEO, but you're doing 50 things yourself. So I guess know what you're doing. Look what other people do. Look at the competition. Uh, make sure you understand that all these things matter. So sometimes businesses fail because they're not paying attention to a thing that they didn't think would matter. But it, it's important. Like, you know, if a restaurant doesn't serve lunches because the, they don't have lunch on Saturdays, it, 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 that may be the difference between winning or losing. So uh, so it's, it's, it's hard. We, I, we do a, a lot of entrepreneurs. And honestly, I, I always get pumped up when I see them. If you could just kind of just leave our listeners with, with three things. You know, three things you'd, you'd like them to remember from this conversation. What would it be? Uh, um, America is an exceptional place. And let's focus on fixing our problems. Uh, uh, work hard. Take care of your mind, your body, your spirit, your soul. Work hard. Spend your life learning. And take care of your mind, your body, your spirit, your soul. It's your job. And it'll give you a better life. 
Great. Jamie, you're the best. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Hey, thank you. I enjoyed it. Yeah, appreciate it. I'll talk to you soon. Well, when you listen to Jamie Dimon, you can see why he's such a standout leader. But one thing that always stuck with me is that folded up sheet of paper he keeps with him to write down the issues he comes across and needs to deal with. That's really incredible, isn't it? He knows uncovering a problem is only the beginning. Great leaders have a plan so they can follow through and deal with it. I really admire that. So now it's time for a little coaching. So this week, as part of your weekly personal development plan, I want you to try Jamie's approach for yourself. Fold up a sheet of paper and tuck it in your coat pocket, your purse, heck, your PJs if you're working from home. Keep it handy and jot down the issues you spot. I know it might be tempting to use an app, but I think there's something kind of magical about the old-fashioned physical piece of paper. And hey, when you get something resolved, make sure you scribble through it with the same kind of intensity that Jamie does. You're going to love it. And man, your team is really going to respect the follow-through that you have. So do you want to know how leaders lead? What we learned today is that great leaders always have a plan to deal with problems. Thanks again for tuning in to another episode of How Leaders Lead, where every Thursday you get to listen in while I interview some of the very best leaders in the world. I make it a point to give you something simple on each episode that you can apply to your business so that you will become the best leader you can be.